This episode of the Esoteric Order of Roleplayers is brought to you by the generosity of our backers on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash esotericrp to find out how you can become a backer too. We create and broadcast these episodes live on native lands. We acknowledge these are unceded lands, with diverse communities maintaining connections to these places, and recognize their ancestors, their elders, both past and present, and future generations. Learn more by visiting the Native American Rights Fund website at narf.org. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of me, David Larkins, and I'm going where I've never gone before. Doki, <clears throat> we are back. We are on the bridge. Time for some more Captain's Log. I have done my due diligence. I have done what needed to be done, <laughs> which was more prep. Oh, yeah. Um, like I said last time, you know, it's. It, it, I'm a little. Uh, I guess surprised. Well, I'm shocked and not shocked by the amount of prep I've had to put in to do a solo game. Again, I, I kind of felt like getting into this book in particular that a lot of that would sort of be taken care of for me, but that was probably just wishful thinking. But again, it, it does seem like it's being pitched at folks who are new to the setting as well. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, this is probably just my own <laughs> uh, nerdy compulsion to you know, do these, these can canonical deep dives, you know, I can't just, um, I can't just make stuff up off the cuff unless I feel like we're sort of operating in a, you know, more free form, uh, milieu for the, that particular mission. But when you, when it comes to something like the Borg, like one of the most iconic, uh, Star Trek, uh, antagonists, I kind of feel like I have to, you know, do some background reading. So I acquired a PDF of the Delta Quadrant source book, and I dove in. And uh, and yes, it, it gave me a lot of food for thought. It gave me a lot to think about. I learned a bit more about Borg spheres. I was pleased to note that I'm kind of using the sphere correctly in that they, they often do go off on their own to sort of scout out around the margins of, uh, of Borg space. So that's cool. And, um, and I even ran across a, a fun little, uh, a fun little adventure hook, I guess you could say. So I'm going to be doing a couple retcons here, right at the top of the session in the, in the grand tradition of not just Star Trek, but sort of geek media in general um, I didn't mean what I said last time. <laughs> it's actually different, you see? Um, so the first the first retcon is that I think uh, that, that deep space navigational system test was occurring 
in a um, part of deep space in the beta quadrant called the hollow so called because um, there's just not a lot of bright celestial bodies in that section of space it's very it's a very vast pretty empty section of space there's not a lot of activity there um, which makes it kind of a uh, a favorite haunt for um, less reputable folks you might say who you know want to get the heat off of them and uh, and I feel like would sort of uh, it would behoove the Federation to, you know, maybe throw some probes out there, or, you know, otherwise monitor it a little bit more closely. Uh, the problem is, is that the hollow is also filled with a bunch of, like, gravitational and subspace anomalies. Oh, oh, is that a fact? Yes, yes, indeed it is. And so this new navigational system was designed to sort of navigate around those anomalies so it's kind of like uh you know when they were developing radar uh for ships you know early on in the i don't know the 30s or so you know and it was being used to like kind of map out the ocean floor and they were like huh that's curious there's a mountain range going down the middle of the atlantic ocean i wonder <laughs> wonder why that could be um so kind of a similar similar concept there i think and um and since this was the Delta Quadrant book and it was talking about story hooks for the Borg, it actually said that the hollow is um, is the site of one of the few sort of like naturally occurring transwarp corridor outlets. Now, I think the book was kind of implying that the hollow was more on the edge of Borg space rather than Federation space, but who cares? <laughs> that this is this is a situation where I'm like, I don't care if there's a canonical map that shows the hollow in Borg space. No. In my world, it's on the edge of Federation space near the Romulan Star Empire in the Beta Quadrant. Done. Done and dusted. And um, it did say that the Borg keep a watch on that um, transwarp corridor because it's naturally occurring. You know, they obviously don't want... You know, because it, it, it opens up in a very vast, empty part of space where you don't get a lot of starships generally the Borg aren't too concerned about that but they do sort of keep guard on it so we could even maybe say that this sphere was on guard duty when Kyushu encountered it and they went gotta go and zipped off down the uh corridor and took a couple couple left turns you know <laughs> I kind of view transwarp corridors actually now that I think about it like the um the time streams in, in the Bill and Ted movies, <laughs> you know, where there's like, you're just kind of, you know, going along through this sort of, you know, CG rendered, um, uh, you know, sort of telephone or, or uh, telecommunications bundle, <laughs> you know, is what it kind of looks like, right? Uh, but that there's like sort of off ramps and branches and things that you can navigate through if you know what you're doing. So the sphere was probably trying to lose Kyushu in the corridor, but Kyushu kind of more through luck than anything else sort of popped out on the same outlet that the sphere did. So now the sphere is um, is currently orbiting this planet, this ocean planet, as established. This is the second retcon, though. 
because one thing I did learn from reading the Delta Quadrant book is that the spheres are, are you know, pretty much scout ships. Um, they can engage in assimilation activities if need be. They're not big enough to do the, um, uh, what do you call it, like the... Um, um, like consuming a planet, you know, like, like kind of, uh, so for those who don't know, like the Borg will either ignore a planet if it doesn't have anything worthwhile going on. Um, or they will try to assimilate anything that's interesting going on on the planet technology wise in terms of the inhabitants, all of the above, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or they will consume the planet, meaning they just basically uh, tear whole chunks out of the surface of the planet and like beam it up into these their cubes, right? And and break it down for for nutrients, you know. So um, this is how they get a lot of their raw materials, and uh, and they basically just strip mine entire planets, you know. Um, so. That all being said, uh, I don't I don't think the crew of the sphere is necessarily going to be down on the surface of the planet, even though we rolled for that last time, um, or at least not the whole crew. You know, maybe they sent a few observers down to check things out, and that and their their focus is currently on that because they're like, "Hello, there's a planet here, let's check it out." But their focus is also going to be drawn by the arrival of Kyushu, which just scanned them, as we know. So that would certainly have grabbed their attention, even if uh, they hadn't otherwise noted the ship. Um, now, the other thing I was thinking about, and this is not, we're, we're now out of the realm of retcons. The other thing I was thinking about was, you know, the way the Borg work, um, you know, the, the instant that one of their vessels or even one of their drones encounters something new, it goes whoop, right up into the, the hive mind. And suddenly everyone knows about it. The whole Borg knows about it. You know, everyone's talking about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and again, I don't want to violate canon too grossly here. And uh, I think it's pretty, pretty well established that um, the Enterprise encountering the Borg cube in TNG was sort of the first time that the Borg certainly encountered a Federation starship. Um, I know there's some stuff from, from Voyager, too, in terms of earlier encounters with humanity. But um, as far as encountering a Federation starship, you know, canonically, the Enterprise is the first, as far as I understand it. And I don't want to necessarily violate that. So I'm thinking that... Uh, so we left off last, last time with me rolling a pretty cool advantage, in addition to shaking off our overworked uh, complication. But... Uh, I rolled a pretty cool advantage, which was, um, you know, that we learned something about the enemy that's going to give us an advantage. And so I'm thinking what that may be, even though we as characters do not know anything about the Borg, perhaps we as players can learn something useful. And I'm thinking that that is that the, the sphere has become cut off from the collective. So, um, you know, it's it's possible that it's just experiencing some minor technical difficulties. It's possible that something happened going through that transwarp corridor that messed it up. 
Um, you know, there was some minor malfunction while it was in the transwarp um, corridor that, that then caused some kind of cascade failure that has cut it off, you know, so, sort of the equivalent of, you know, getting uh, knocked offline, uh, you know, because a, a truck plows into a telephone pole three miles away or something, you know. So, um, and no doubt that they are, if that's the case, they're working on getting reconnected as we speak. So the first thing I'm going to roll for is, is that the, is the sphere cut off? And I'm going to say that since that was an advantage, we're going to say it's highly probable on the old matrix and ooh, yeah, just squeaked that <laughs> rolled a 17 eating an 18 or less. Okay. So yes, the sphere is cut off. So that's very good. That, 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 you know ties in very nicely with canon uh if if we can get away here um you know without too much too much information being gathered or even maybe leading the sphere into its own demise its own doom okay um you know here's the other thing like nothing is for preordained here, right? So it is entirely possible that we are exploring an alternate universe, a mirror universe, if you will, in which Kyushu does not get blown up at the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, but rather gets fully assimilated by the Borg <laughs> somewhere in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> in uh, let's see, what what year are we in? I keep forgetting what year we're in. In the year um. 30, uh, 2353 so uh, you know hey it's possible um, we'll see I'm you know that's why we play we play to find out what happens as, as certain other games are fond of saying so um, okay now another thing I learned from reading the Borg chapters in the Delta Quadrant source book is that as I indicated before like, the Borg don't assimilate just for assimilation's sake, despite their famous catchphrase. Um, you know, if they encounter a species, or even, uh, you know, a, a planet with, you know, life on it, and they're not looking to consume the planet, uh, and there's nothing on the planet that's worth them assimilating, they'll just note it, they'll log it, They'll add it to their database and go on their merry little way. And actually, there was a really rather chilling uh, whole bit, which I'm sure has been explored in some other Star Trek media, but would make a very interesting, uh, not necessarily a Star Trek Adventures campaign, but if you really wanted to, like, um, surprise your players, you know, you could, you could set it up as, like, a... Um, you know, using a different system like GURPS or basic role-playing or really anything uh, that has, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it could be any kind of, like, relatively advanced, you know, like a cyberpunk setting, let's say. Or even a setting that has, like, some, like, unique, like a steampunk setting or, you know, something with, like, some unique tech in it. And, uh, and all you do is you just kind of casually seed the fact that there's some some old legends some old like apocalyptic legends about like the black sun or the dark the dark ones or something you know um who will one day return and um you know and take everyone up into the sky or or you know whatever right you know just some 
like come up with something a little bit uh you know borg like but not don't be too obvious about it right none of the people at your table are aware of what's going on and uh but you know ideally you're running this for some trekkies right and uh and then you know you you run you know you just get into it you you pitch it as like oh yeah you know guys i just wanted to run kind of a fun you know steampunk game you know um or whatever you know clock punk whatever punk you know and uh and you run you know three or four sessions of it let everyone kind of get comfortable get into their characters establish the world you know maybe you go a little longer you do a half dozen sessions right and then suddenly the sky is full of a bunch of gigantic cubes and uh, and all the trekkies at the table go oh my god <laughs> everyone's heads collectively explode uh because that happens uh the borg will come back you know hundreds or thousands of years later and be like okay and see now you guys went and developed some technology that we like and we want to take you know or like you're interesting enough you know uh you have you have enough of an advanced you know understanding of whatever that's desirable to the borg uh that we want to assimilate you guys and it's it said like you know in some cases where there are legends from that that prior Borg visitation, uh, sometimes like the response of the the planet's population are like yes, our gods have returned, take us up into the sky, oh sky lords, you know. And then in other ones, it's like oh no, our legend said these were like sky demons, and um, there's no way in hell we're going down without a fight, you know. So and of course you know if you're running that you're running that game you'd have to complicate it right you'd have to have both both perspectives going on at the same time anyways that's a whole other game <laughs> let's get back to this one so in this case though as i mentioned last time i rolled up the inhabitants of omicron 10 and they are sentient flying radial creatures so like probably look like flying jellyfish they live on an ocean planet so obviously they started out in the ocean and they evolved some way of of flotation you know some gas you know uh, helium gas sacks or something that keep them floating above the surface um they're bronze or iron age technology um their uh government structure tends to be oligarchical and uh tends towards federations federations of oligarchies so it's almost like a bronze age italian renaissance situation or actually not even renaissance right i mean if we just think of bronze age italy with its various you know it had the the greek colonies and the etruscans and the romans and the you know uh central italian tribes you know maybe something a little like that right except they're flying jellyfish and it's a water world this is why we love sci-fi so (laughs) just picturing like a a tos thing where you know kirk and and the crew beam down and it's just a bunch of like jellyfish wearing togas you know um oh this is the one where they go to the roman planet but they're all jellyfish um so anyway I, i don't think any of that really screams um the borg wants what these guys got you know so ergo my retcon of like well maybe they maybe they've just got some observers down on the surface of the planet who are sort of checking things out so uh however 
the book did say that sometimes Borg will make an exception if they discover that, um, you know, the, the species on this planet, the sentient species on this planet, or some other life on this planet has a biological trait that the Borg wants to assimilate into its own, uh, I don't know, processes. Um, I mean, the Borg are mostly like a cybernetic uh, species. They're not really like, you know, biotech as far as I can tell. I mean, they, they use nanites, nanobots. Um, but that, you know, that doesn't mean they couldn't like, you know, take something, take some cellular structure or other like biological component from a species, replicate it, and just have that become part of their standard assimilation protocol, you know. So, uh, yeah, who knows, you know. So, anyway, highly unlikely, I would say. Um, so, I'm going to roll for it anyway, because, you know, we'll just find out. You know, but, uh, yeah, in this case, um, the answer is no. Okay, so our, our friends, our jellyfish friends are do not have to worry about assimilation, thankfully. I, I actually was kind of having nightmarish visions of jellyfish drones, Borg drones, you know. Um, okay. So, okay. So we've, we've, under, we've determined the sphere is cut off. I wrote down a bunch of questions. Um, is the cube actually, or is the sphere rather, actually damaged? I'm going to say 50-50 on that one. And when I say damaged, I mean damaged. Like, is, are its shields compromised? Is its tractor beam down? You know, that kind of thing. We know it's cut off. Um, but yeah, it is, it is also, it does also have some damage to it. And I think probably that's honestly what Kyushu's scan would have revealed. You know, like this, this vessel's, um, power core is, is compromised or whatever, you know? Um, okay. So <clears throat> is it going to try and consume? Now a sphere is not as equipped for consumption of a planet as, uh, as a cube is. However, it can still take chunks out of the planet, pull it up and, you know, start breaking it down into base components in order to, you know, help repair the, the vessel. So, um, so is it, is it going to try and consume? Is it going to try to take some chunks out of this planet? Um, we'll say that's probable. And yes, that's a yes. Okay, so rather than having their focus be on, oh, we're going to beam our crew down to start assimilating, their focus is on, we need to, like, grab some, we need to, like, yeah, just tear out some natural resources from this, this beautiful planet, uh, which, if you recall, is not only in a strategic location, i.e. at the far end of a transwarp corridor, but um, it is a, a planet of natural wonders as well. So uh, the Borg just being full-on villains here, coming in, wrecking shit like the bad guy from like a 90s, uh, you know, kids movie with environmental themes. Uh, you know, he's going to dump toxic waste in, uh, in Yosemite Park or something, you know, kind of the equivalent. Um, okay, so let's see. The only other question then that I had is because, okay, so the sphere is focused on the planet, um, but only, only insofar as it needs to grab some resources to start repairing itself. 
Um, so in the meantime, is it going to attempt to beam any drones over onto Kyushu? So the Delta Quadrant book had some nice guidelines for what the Borg does when it initially encounters something new. Um, and it's not just like a immediate attack protocol, which certainly a sphere would be anyway. So I'm going to say that right now, because they're so focused on repairing the ship, um, it's somewhat improbable that they're going to send anyone over. And that's a no. Okay. So Kyushu is safe for now. Thank God. Jeez. Um, however... <laughs> As I as I indicated, our intrepid crew have no idea. They're they're just as um, the Borg are just as novel to them as they are to the Borg, and so they really have uh, no clue what they are messing with here. Um, now, that being said, uh, Captain Galvin is a stoic type. He's very cautious. He's very methodical. Um, is he going to attempt to bring the Borg up on hailing frequencies? I will say that is... Hmm, is that somewhat improbable? Let's see. I would say it's somewhat improbable, and yet I still got a yes. Okay. All right. He may live to regret this. Okay. So... Or be assimilated to regret this. All right. So, um, yes, we're going to try to bring, uh, <laughs> try to bring a Borg ship up on hailing frequencies. Sure, why not? Um, so we'll roll comms, uh, plus command. Sure. Sounds reasonable. And I got the one success that I needed. That's fine. No momentum generated, though, sadly. Okay. So, um, so when brings, you know, uh, uh, manages or, you know, would it be when? I guess so. Sure. Uh, if we recall when, when is at the navigation, uh, helm currently. And, uh, and then we've got our, our plucky young Ensign Kehoe, um, who actually has the con. And, um, and so when brings up the, the uh, Borg on hailing frequencies. All right. Well, um, so I think, you know, everyone's kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, Captain Galvin assumes his position between the two uh, helm stations and, you know, clasps his hands behind his back and looks, uh, you know, very, very authoritative there and, and says, uh, this is USS... Kyushu, hailing unknown vessel. Please identify yourselves. And uh, you know, we get a bunch of stat. The, the view screen goes from black to static, and then it it uh, swiftly resolves, and we see uh, you know this um, interior of this Borg sphere. Now the spheres uh, are um, they're almost like a Dyson sphere in the sense that like all of the kind of um, action happens around the uh, surface circumference of the sphere and that the interior of the sphere is actually uh, empty except for, you know, it's um, sort of um, 
<clears throat> engine and and uh, warp core and all that stuff, you know. So it's not quite the like, you know, endless vista back into the interior that you would get with like a cube, right? So I'm picturing it more like almost like the interior of like a German submarine from World War Two, you know, Das Boot, you know, <laughs> like just very sort of like cramped and like dark, like lots of dark metal pipes and and um, you know the only the only light and color is coming from some blinking uh, circuit boards readouts etc and we've got a Borg drone looking back at the crew of the Kyushu and everyone gasps in shock at this you know um, strange and diabolical looking figure with its chalky white skin and uh, you know, bionic implants sticking out of, you know, major arteries and um, organs and, you know, um, just looking very, like, very inhuman. And, uh, and of course, you know, we get a classic moment here. We are the Borg. Blow your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. All right. So I'm going to mark that scene a fail. (laughs) Because really, the smart move would have just been to be like, huh, yeah, look at that thing. That is freaky. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, <laughs> rather than like, hello, how are you? Uh, we're the Federation. Who are you? Um, now, you know, Federation does that all the time, but that doesn't mean it's not a fail, in my opinion. All right. So, and that would, of course, be our, our commercial break there anyway, you know, as everyone's looking at each other. And, um, okay, so we come back from commercial. Now, uh, you know, course i've been i've been living for this moment because when has had a value from character creation resistance is never futile so i am very curious to see if maybe we can uh challenge that value uh in this mission um but perhaps not quite yet because um uh, let's see. Okay, so the next thing that the Borg would attempt to do would be to uh, teleport some of their drones over to um, the uh, Kyushu. Now, there's a couple things I think that we need to establish before then. First of all, is Captain Galvin going to order shields up? Um, I'd say that's Highly probable. That was a hostile act, and yes. Uh, so Galvin barks to um, Kerensky, you know, shields up. And uh, Kerensky, you know, hits, uh, or, you know, leans over and and, uh, and says, uh, you know, all crew, red alert. You know, so we get the red lights coming up and the little, the little uh, light banks around the bridge. And... Um, but uh, Captain Galvin, un, unbothered, unflustered, takes a couple steps forward and uh, and uh, and says, um, "We mean you no uh, no harm, 
and uh, and do not wish to engage in hostilities. However, um, based on your threatening words, I have had no choice but to order my shields up. Um, just know that we will not fire on you unless we are fired upon first. Um, so, I think we'll give Galvin an opportunity here. Um, comms plus command again. Just to see like, kind of what what impression that makes on our on our little Borg spheroids. Um, cool. So, I got a success with a momentum. All right. Hmm. What shall we... How shall we do that? Um, I can, of course, hold on to it for a re-roll. Um, however... As I, as I once again look for, look for the page, you know, I ran across a video on YouTube this past week where it was like, how I mark up my captain's logbook. And the thumbnail, like, the guy is holding up the book, and there's, like, this peacock's tail of <laughs> different colored um, post-it notes, like, around, literally around, like, the top side and bottom of the book. And I was like, huh, I don't know about that. And then I was even more surprised to see it was the uh, lead developer of the book. So, I don't know. I, th I think... Um, I think the book could have benefited from a slightly higher production value in terms of like maybe having color-coded sections, you know, um, so that you wouldn't have to go through with your post-it notes like that. Although it was very clever, he used the, uh, you know, the three colors of Federation um, uniforms, so he had gold, gold, red, blue, you know, for the different departments. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish they'd been able to do that with the printing. It's it's a it's a two co well is it two color? Yeah, it's two color. No, three color. They've got uh, black text with some blue headers and then gold, some gold like table table headers. Um, but yeah, unfortunately they couldn't do. Oh yeah, it is it is full color because they have full color illustrations. Well, gosh, why didn't they do the freaking? <laughs> All right, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> The book's a little hard to navigate, as I've, I'm, I'm, I won't, I won't flog that. But uh, yeah, anyway. All right, so we can hold on to the momentum for a reroll. I can hold on to the momentum in case I generate a threat later, in which case I can immediately spend the momentum to cancel out the threat. Or I can add an advantage or new story element. So what I'm tempted to do here is spend the momentum to say the Borg are going to. Uh, hesitate, you know, because the sort of next move I was going to have them do was, um, um, you know, try to drain Kyushu's shields so that they could then teleport over. But I think taking into account the fact that they're they're still repairing their ship, they know that they're actually at a disadvantage. This is something our crew doesn't know. But they know that. So they're like, oh, oh snap. Uh, we have encountered an advanced civilization that has, you know, advanced warships. They also haven't had a chance yet to find out that Kyushu is really just a survey ship. It's not a warship. But, you know, they don't know that. Um, so it's a little bit of a little bit of a poker game here. A little bit of a bluff counter bluff kind of situation going on. 
So I'm going to spend the uh, the momentum to generate a new story element, which is that um, yeah the the crew the drones aboard the the Borg sphere also they're out of connection with the you know with the collective as well. So um, they will they will um, hesitate. So we'll mark that as a success. All right. All right, so we're coming up on the last scene of this act. And again, you know, I talked about this a little bit last time. The the swiftness with which we gallop through these missions, I guess that's just kind of up to me to sort of make a judgment call. It's like, was that a scene? Or was that just a, a threat, you know, a, a task role? Or was it both? I mean, I feel like we're kind of in the same scene. Like, like act two is kind of one big extended scene, you know? Um... Okay, so I think, um, yeah, I think for the last scene though, they aren't they aren't going to try and drain the shields, but they are going to start running scans on Kyushu. And of course, as we know, the thing with the Borg is the more you can prevent them from getting information about you, the better. Um, I mean, I, I found that you know we might get into their protocol for what they do in terms of trying to sort of provoke information gathering opportunities so i won't get into it right now because it might come up later in the mission but pretty fascinating stuff if you're familiar with it you can nod your head in agreement right now as i take a sip of water ah yes quite fascinating all right so i think for this uh last scene of this act though will give Wynn something to do. Uh, so the Borg ship is going to start trying to scan Kyushu and, and gather as much information. So Wynn sees this coming up and says, Captain, they're attempting to scan our ship. And of course, Galvin immediately barks back, Jam that signal! So, here we go. Um, let's give Wynn... What do we have here? So, we'll use the ship's sensor... Yes, and also its own engineering. Would it be engineering or science? Well, they're the same value. So, sensors and and, uh, engineering, science, whatever. Um, So that is a 14 or less. Let's go. All right. Hey, hey. So, two successes mean I have generated another... Uh, momentum die and I am keeping an eye out to see if um, if any of these uh, are coming up you know like as triggering a ship's talent or a focus for example high resolution sensors on Kyushu Uh, but I believe I have to roll equal to or less than the ship's scale of 4 and I just rolled a 5 on one of those dice and the other was a 13 so um also has automated defenses, which could come in very handy. And an improved impulse drive, which could also come in handy in terms of trying to get the hell out of here. Get away from this planet's gravity well so we can punch into warp and GTFO. Um, so these are good things to remember. <laughs> and then, of course, Wynn has Helm Ops as a focus. Yes, very good. Stellar Cartography. Okay, all, all good things. Very good things. Okay. All right. So we have successfully jammed their sensor sweep and created 
a momentum point, I will hold on to that one for right now because I feel like we might need it. Okay, so that is the end of Act 2. Uh, so far we are running in the black as far as success versus fail. Let's see, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven successes versus three uh, fails. So if I fail, if I fail all five of Act Three's scenes, then it will be a loss. Although a close, a, a minor loss, right? Um, you know, we'll find out here. We'll find out. All right, um, so once again, I don't really feel the need for a third act supplemental, so we'll just we'll just go right on into the third act. So I think for the third act, um, <clears throat> actually, you know what? Um, I might spend that momentum die, actually. Yeah, I'm gonna spend that momentum now that I think about it. So I think in the course of jamming, um, jamming the the scan uh when also picked up the information that this this borg vessel this this alien sphere appears to be uh transporting massive amounts of matter directly from the surface of the planet below and uh actually before we even get into this scene i'm going to give win another another sensor sweep okay just one one success on that one um, so yeah, a quick sensor sweep of the planet shows that there is uh, life on that planet, and furthermore, uh, civilized life. Um, and the Borg are, you know, um, tearing huge chunks out of this this planetary surface. Um, now, this is something that I don't think Federation ships are even capable of doing, um, is my understanding. But certainly, if they are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is not something the Federation does um, as a as a general rule of thumb. So I think, yeah, when when reports that to the captain, uh, who then um, uh, yeah, so we're you know, he's still he's still kind of facing down this this drone, you know, and um, and so let's see here. What what are we gonna do? Um, I mean, we could threaten, we could threaten violence. We could say like, if you don't stop doing that right away, we're gonna open up on you. But Galvin already kind of gave his word. You know, he said we're not gonna fire on you unless we're fired upon first, and that's kind of standard Federation policy, really. Um, so I think I think yet again, we'll we'll just say it's highly improbable that he'll order that. Okay, so yeah, instead he's he's gonna continue to try and like sort of intimidate um the the Borg drone and he'll say, um you know so so when when reports, you know, um Captain, our sensors show that the alien vessel is transporting massive volumes of of uh material off that planet's surface. Uh, it's just it's, it, it, I, I it almost seems like it's scooping whole islands off of these archipelago chains here up near the poles and um and uh and galvin goes um you know alien vessel is is this true 
What is what is the purpose of this operation? Uh, you must cease this immediately. For the love of God. All right, so we're going to try another... Uh, yeah, comms plus command roll. Just see what happens there. Almost generated a threat. That was a 19. We got one success. So... Um, I think with that single success, like the Borg are very arrogant, you know, they're very much like, we don't need to be coy with you. We don't need to be cagey. Uh, so I think the drone just says, um, we are merely transporting raw materials aboard our craft to effect repairs. Once our repairs are, once our repairs are effected, we will begin assimilating your craft. Resistance is futile. So we've got a little bit of a threat there. We've got a little bit of a countdown clock going on, you know. And um, so I think it's time for another decision point here. This is a tough one. This is this is what you call a moral dilemma, right? Because we've got this alien craft who's like, you know, strip mining this planetary surface where we know there's life. We know there's advanced life. Uh, so to speak, you know, not not warp capable, but advanced life, civilized life. Um, this alien craft is, you know, wrecking that, essentially. Um, so there would be kind of a, a desire to stop that, you know, to do something to stop that. Especially after the last mission where we kind of <laughs> kind of left those uh, psionic beings high and dry <laughs> on that planet. I don't, I don't know if Galvin's really the, the sort of um, morally uh, dubious guy, you know. I feel like this is a, this is a, a real character-defining moment for our captain here because, I mean, we can, we can kind of forgive him from the last mission because those, those things were like trying to hijack his crew's brains you know uh so that's not cool uh, you know you, you can kind of understand why he didn't want to mess around with that but in this case because the other option then is like we're facing an alien craft that's 600 uh meters across so it's it's you know much vaster than our own craft it's almost you know it's like two-thirds of a kilometer across huge ship Although, you know, still dwarfed by a cube, by a Borg cube. But, you know, we haven't seen that yet. We don't know that, you know, as far as we know, this is a... Much like how they don't understand the Kyushu's kind of a little shrimpy ship. We don't understand so, so too is theirs, you know. So, um... So it's an unknown craft with unknown capabilities other than its demonstrated capacity for, first of all, traveling through a heretofore unknown part of space-time and then <clears throat> scooping big chunks out of a planet surface like it's a, you know, bored teenager working at a Baskin-Robbins after school, you know? So, how's that for a metaphor? Um, so the, the impulse, no pun intended, the impulse to go to impulse drive and get the hell out of there would be a powerful one. And certainly I'm sure there are many folks on the bridge even now who are kind of thinking like gosh I sure hope the captain orders us to run away 
Or maybe not. These are stalwart Starfleet officers, you know. They knew what they signed up for when they went to the Academy. But, um, nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, Captain Galvin's got a decision to make. So, normally I would say it's highly improbable that he would run away. However, after the events of the last mission, I'm going to bump it down to merely improbable. So if I roll a five or less, I believe, if I can flip back to my probability matrix here. Yes, a five or less, Galvin is going to turn tail and run. Let's find out. No, he's going to stick it out. God damn it. Starfleet is made of sterner stuff than that. All right, our iron-backed captain. I'm not going to back down in the face of this kind of reckless disregard for sentient life. And, uh, or just life in general. I mean, come on. And, uh, and so he's going to, uh, his face flushing a bit, his nostrils flaring. He's going to end communication with the Borg vessel. And he's going to look at Wynn, and he's going to look at uh, Kerensky and Kresar, our good old away team, yet again. Um, let's see. And I think uh, I think we'll just, yeah, we'll call up some uh, some other security as well, right? You know, maybe uh, three other, let's just say three other security team. And, uh, and he, he turns to Kerensky, and he says, uh, he says... Um, we can't let them get away with this. Um, assemble in transporter room um, for an immediate away mission. Um, okay. So we'll definitely call that one a success because uh, Galvin did the right thing. You know, he didn't run away. We're going we're gonna to fight this one out. So, um, so our next scene, we're in the transporter room. And uh, you know we've got our we've got our phasers. Uh, in fact, you know maybe maybe we've got some of those those you know big fuck off phasers. You know the, <laughs> the ones that look like rifles, right? Uh, I think that's still TNG era. I got those. And um, yeah, we're ready to wreck some shit. You know. So Galvin is explaining the mission briefing. He says. Um, he says it is it is in our best interest to um, uh, cripple that ship's capacity for uh, transporting raw materials on on board, uh, both on behalf of the uh, residents of the planet below. To say nothing of the fact that once that ship comes back online, I have a distinct feeling that we're not going to be having a very nice day. <laughs> It won't be a very Merry Christmas for any of us. So, um, yeah, I, I, I doubt they still celebrate Christmas in the atheistic utopia of uh, the secular Star Trek universe. But, you know, they know what Christmas is. We know what Saturnalia is. Come on. Anyway. Um, all right. So, um, now, of course, the the problem there is that we don't know a whole lot about what's going on aboard that vessel. We did get some scanning completed on the vessel, so we have some idea 
we we could say we kind of have a lock on the location of where that drone was uh, sort of broadcasting from so to speak which we might assume reasonably is the bridge so uh galvin is looking each of us directly in the eye and he says your mission objectives are clear get aboard disable the bridge crew shut down that transporter beam if possible and get out don't linger don't go wandering off we're just trying to cripple this ship as much as possible before we get out of here all right so uh okay so with that in mind we will have our six away team members you know all grim-faced and ready to you know see what fate has in store for them uh get up onto the transporter deck and uh and away we go so i'm gonna roll for for uh, our transporting transport engineer chief transporter our miles o'brien uh he's gonna roll and um miles o'keefe in this case um he's gonna roll and uh and we'll see how precisely he can pinpoint us onto this onto this vessel so again you know just as a reminder that that advantage that we generated last session uh was that the the sphere was sufficiently crippled that we can we can assume that the the borg's usual sort of countermeasures for like scattering attempted um transporters and whatnot is you know just it's offline it's not going to work so we'll just say it's difficulty one and thank god we did uh so i got one success but also thankfully no threat okay no other talents or anything triggered there okay all right so um off we go cue transporter sound as the crew rematerializes um not so much on board not so much on the bridge because i i'm 90 percent sure that borg vessels do not have a bridge per se because they don't need one right but uh close by to where um, that initial broadcast went out now of course what our away team immediately realizes is yeah we're just somewhere inside the bowels of the ship there is no bridge um and um and in fact we're just you know we see some of these you know freaky deaky cyber mummies but they're like you know standing inside these these little like you know glass tubes these little glass sarcophagi so um eyes closed seemingly dormant so um there's really no no clue or concept as to like what needs to be done and uh also for folks who don't know like um you know borg drones aren't necessarily going to even care if you're on board their ship as long as you're not doing anything um rude so they won't they just won't assess you as a threat and um they'll just continue to go about their sort of programmed uh duties so uh plus you know this is the first time the borg is encountering starfleet and so uh they probably wouldn't even anticipate that this would have been a move um 
you know, that, that, uh, that Starfleet would care enough to try to prevent the Borg from, you know, um, transporting all this material. So I think what we'll do here, I'm once again going to take advantage of the, uh, of the combat system for a, a kind of extended action. Okay. So what we're going to do, we're going to do the standard sort of three box system. And it's a race against time because we're trying to shut down this giant scooper essentially uh, before they get enough raw material to start you know, I mean, they're already affecting repairs as we speak, but, you know, they need enough raw material to, like, finish doing all their repairs. And, and we're trying to shut it down before it gets to that point. Um, so, and and basically we're just going to be kind of, you know, uh, doing the sort of commando raid style, you know, um, dashing around along gantries and, you know, catwalks and... Uh, and whatnot, you know, down here, this way, you know, and so forth. Uh, looking around for anything that looks like it might be controlling the transporter, you know. Um, and understanding this is a completely alien vessel. So, I'm going to make it a little hard for myself. I'm going to say, so it's, it's three boxes for us, three boxes for them. The first side to fill in three boxes... Um, you know, to you know, to, to do three hits essentially uh, achieves their objective. So if the Borg gets three hits first, they have transported aboard enough material from this jellyfish planet that their repairs will be imminently um, complete. And if we get three hits first, we find some sort of you know some something that looks enough like a you know transporter hub. Uh, that we can like start messing with it. Now we'll still need to roll to disable it, but you know we can at least we can but try. Um, and so since this is an alien vessel with a lot of alien tech on it, I'm going to say that my difficulties are going to be at two, uh, just across the board here. So um, whereas the Borg is just going to need a you know regular difficulty of one. So. Let's see what we can do, because, you know, sometimes winning at great odds just makes it all the sweeter. Okay, so, um, for the Borg vessel, now, now here's, here's where I have to figure out what the heck is going on, right? Because, uh, let's see, all right, let me pause really quick and look up the Borg sphere in the Delta Quadrant book. All right, well, annoyingly enough, the uh, section on Borg spacecraft had a Borg cube, a Borg diamond, <laughs> and a Borg probe ship, but not a sphere. <coughs> so I looked at the... I, I think the sphere would be closer to the cube than the, um, than the probe ship, so just kind of ballparking it there. Um, I think it's a structure plus engineering role. So uh, that's going to be a 17 or less. <laughs> All right. And uh, meanwhile, I think for win, you know, we're again, we're, since win's our POV character, we're going to hinge our success on her success. And we'll go off of reason plus engineering. Okay. 
So that's a 13 or less, which is not bad, but not a, yeah, not a 17 or less. All right, so, um, oh, wait a minute. I'm totally, I am totally falling back into old RPG habits. <laughs> so silly. I don't need the Borg uh, ship stats. Yeah, yeah. I just need wins stats. So that's a, uh, yeah, that's a 13 or less, but a difficulty too. Okay, well, that was silly of me. All right, here we go. <laughs> Save my own ass, I don't tell you. Okay, hey, look at that. Look at that. Two successes right off the bat, including a potential focus activation, or not a focus activation, but a, uh, I rolled a three, and my engineering is a three. I forget what they call that. <laughs> um, okay, so we've got a momentum, and then we've got the other thing, the Schmendrick. Um, let's see here. One moment. Okay, that is the focus. That is the focus. So it says, if a character has a focus that applies to the current task, and they roll a number equal to or less than their discipline rank, they immediately create an advantage or roll on the advantage table. All right, well, unfortunately, I don't have one that applies here. I don't have any, like, um, you know, like ship engineering or, um, you know, sort of teleport engineering related focuses, sadly enough. So, but I did, like I say, generate a momentum spend. So I think we will cash that in to add one hit. All right, cool beans. we go. Oh, wait a minute. It just occurred to me. Do I generate momentum on a difficulty two roll? Mm, because if by definition I need two successes, uh, let's see. Hold on a second. Okay. Let's see here. You always begin a new mission. All right. Okay, well, I mean, it does say here, your roll, your roll succeeds if you roll equal to or under your target number on one or more dice. However, if both d20s roll under your target number, you not only succeeded, but gained momentum. Hmm, yeah. Well. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah, that's fine. We'll just, we'll go rules as written. If I were the GM, I'd be an asshole, and I would say, you don't generate momentum on a difficulty two roll, but since I'm also the player, I'll give myself a little bit of a, a little bit of slack here. Okay, here we go. I mean, it's going to be hard enough as it is, right? Uh, 13 or less. Ooh, that day almost jumped out. Oh, that is a straight fail. Just a straight up fail. Um... Okay, but fortunately no threat was generated. I rolled a 19, but yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, a four and a 17, so that is still counts as a fail. Uh-oh, two to two. Oh, crap. <laughs> See here, I thought I was going too easy on myself. Oh no, no, an 18 and a 16. Ah. <sighs> All right, so unfortunately, 
our crew has gotten lost within the bowels of uh, of this Borg sphere and um, couldn't even begin to guess, uh, you know, where the uh, where they would go to shut down this transporter. They're just going in blind, and uh, all around them, though, like the the previously sort of darkened interior of the ship begins to light up a bit. You know, like like the um, sort of the main lights begin to flick back on. The corridors become a bit more well lit, and all these like weird little glass cells holding these sleeping drones, like all the drones' eyes just like flick open simultaneously, and all their heads begin to turn and look. And the crew's like standing at a four-way uh, junction, you know. And uh, Kerensky gets on the comm and she says, uh, Captain, get us out of here! You know. So, um, uh, let's see if her communications are going to be jammed or not. Because the sphere is coming back online. Um... Let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a, a good chance of, of that happening because again, the Borg is not familiar with Federation technology here. So we'll say it's probable that her communique goes through, and it is. All right. So um, let's give our uh, yeah our um, Lieutenant Commander Miles O'Keefe uh, an opportunity here to hone in on our crew and uh, beam them off off the ship. As tempted as I am to get into a firefight, again, I'm trying to respect canon because uh, as it's established in the first Borg episode of Next Generation, uh, the Borg drones clearly were not familiar with Federation phasers. Thank you. Alright, so uh, yeah, let's do this. It is, again... Okay, a 14 or less. Difficulty one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That gets them off. Okay, so two successes in fact. Um, so we generate another momentum, and uh, and we get the hell off of that uh, ship. So that scene in and of itself would be a success definitely a success we didn't we didn't expose the borg to our phaser technology so that they could learn how to thwart it and um and uh yeah so all right we've got two scenes left to go in this mission um and we've got some we've got some tough choices ahead of us here so yeah we'll see what happens as our away team rematerializes back in the transporter bay. Alright, so we're heading into the penultimate scene of Act 3, and therefore of the mission itself. Um, so interestingly enough, I'm trying to think last week's was about, about 75 minutes, about an hour 15. This one would probably be about the same. So, uh, so I think, like, yeah, it, it feels like if I don't have to pause and do hours of background research, <laughs> I can probably get through a mission in a typical length episode for the EOR, about two and a half hours. Um, which is a long time to be talking to myself. So, 
I don't know what folks would prefer. Would you prefer a smaller little bite size episodes or do you want just like one long narrative? Because what I can certainly do, like one of the advantages of a solo game is I don't have to do it all in one go because I'm not gathering people together virtually or in person to play a game. So I can, you know, I, I could myself do like two hour and 15 minute sessions, uh, over the course of the week or even like three shorter sessions, even, you know, three, uh, I don't know what what would that be forty five minute ish fifty minute ish um, sessions you know <clears throat> and uh, you won't even know the difference yeah you probably will because you know I would re- be recording at different times of the day and my voice would probably sound different and so forth but who cares anyway curious what people think do you like the shorter sessions do you want a, a chunkier you know narrative through line yeah you know let me know hit me up. All right, but uh, yeah, we've got the end of this mission in sight. It's looking promising. Having said that, I've probably just jinxed the entire crew of the Kyushu, but um, no, it is it is looking promising here that um, we're going to be able to get out of this one unassimilated. Um, oh, you know, I just I just realized I didn't I could have maybe challenged. Um, my resistance is never futile value in that last, well, not the last scene, but the, well, yeah, the last scene. Um, oh, you know, maybe it's not too late. So I I certainly could have challenged it when we were trying to find the transporter beam. Um, but as it says here, allow values to cause trouble. Values might hinder you at a vital moment when what must be done conflicts with what you believe. This might seem like something to avoid. Who wants a character who will not do as they are told at a pivotal moment? But this troublesome function is also part of a great story. Challenging your values provides an instantaneous bonus in the game. Added momentum or the removal of threat. This naturally emulates a key part of Star Trek storytelling. Having to make meaningful choices. Deal with what our beliefs really mean in practice. Etc. Etc. So, and then yeah, you can employ a value and a power in a positive way, which is kind of how I've used them in the past. <coughs> you know, Commander, you always told me that no crew should be left behind, and good leaders get their hands dirty, and so forth. Um, and you can also have values conflict at times. That's interesting. I'm not sure how that would actually work in play. Finding a situation where you are torn between two of your beliefs and must must choose which one means more to you, that will make for added drama in play. Do I have any? Well, we've got resistance is never futile versus crew comes first. I guess those are fairly... Because what I'm kind of thinking to myself here is that, um, you know, (sighs) we were on board this vessel. The drones are, like, waking up. Wynn's got a BFG in her hands. A BFP. (laughs) A big freaking phaser. And, um... You know, it's like, when's the next time I'm going to be inside one of these things? These guys are, you know, we don't know anything about them, but they're obviously hostile. They just, you know, literally, like, raped the land of this planet, caused untold devastation down on planet side to the poor unassuming 
you know, inhabitants of this, you know, far-flung world who are just living their lives up until this moment. Um, you know, and, and she's been told, they've all been told, you know, resistance is futile. Resist this, motherfuckers! You know, I mean, maybe it's, uh, maybe we're looking at something like that. Um, or... Uh, we could go for our third retcon of the of the day and, and dial it all the way back to, uh, you know, looking for that transporter beam. Eh, I'm a little uncomfortable with, with going that far back, though. You know, I, I forgot to challenge my values then. I could have used that to generate uh, momentum and then either done a re-roll or, you know, added added a hit, although I don't think I... I don't think I managed another hit, did I? So I, I, I could have done a re-roll. I think there was one where... There was one roll in particular where I got one success, and the momentum allows you to re-roll one of your dice. So, you know, I could have re-rolled that second die. I could have challenged the value, generated the momentum, spent it immediately, re-rolled that failed die, try to get, you know, a second success. Uh, but I didn't, and we kind of technically ended the last scene, but in that case, I wouldn't necessarily... Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> yes! Okay, I just thought of something. So, our penultimate scene, we don't have to go back at all. We can just keep going here, because in our in our penultimate scene, the, the transporter, you know, you know, and we see five crew members materialize on the deck. Where's the sixth? Where is Junior Lieutenant Wynn Sedino? She's back. She's still on the Borg sphere. She turned off the homing beacon in her little her little communicator there. She is voluntarily Disobey. Well, she didn't even really disobey orders, right? You know, she wasn't ordered to transport back to the ship. That's just standard protocol. So she's violated protocol because she is fuming mad. She's fuming mad, and that see that that nicely crew comes first, right? You know, she's just she's just forming the rear guard here. She's not endangering anybody else's life. She's not endangering the crew. You know. And in fact, she can see that the ship's coming back online. You know, this is this is your heroic sacrifice kind of moment. You know. So uh, yeah, so so the scene begins as these uh, drones are beginning to step out of their little bays, and um, you know, and and her communicate communicator crackles to life, and uh, you know. Uh, um, Kerensky's on the other end and she's like, Sedino, what the hell are you doing? You turned off your transponder beacon. And, uh, and Wynn is sort of backing up and, you know, readying her phaser and she says, uh, she says, I know, Commander. Um, I just, I can't, I can't stand to see these bastards get away with it. And, uh, if I, I just figure if I wreak some havoc over here, the rest of you will be able to get away. And then uh, uh, Captain Galvin gets on and he's like, Sedino, goddammit, don't be a hero. Get back over here now. That's an order. All right. So now Wynn has been ordered to turn on her 
transporter tracking homing transponder doohickey and allow herself to be transported back onto the ship. So, um, right. Now, we already had a, uh, a point of momentum from that last, um, that last scene. So I'll go ahead and spend that one right away so that I can generate another point of momentum in challenging my value. Um, so let's, before I roll any probability matrixes or anything like that, although I guess it's my character, I can freaking decide. I don't have to roll in the probability matrix for once in my life. But like, um, you know, before we do any of that, let's uh let's just generate an advantage and uh since i have no idea you know what what that might be um let's let's just go with random random momentum spends okay um how about how about we roll on um hmm Refuge is interesting. No, that's kind of... Friendly alien encounter? Absolutely not. New technology? <clears throat> not so much. Um, Advanced warning. Let's see. Advanced warning. Um, hmm. Okay. That's fine. We'll go with we'll, we'll we'll rather than roll on a table, we'll just go with the general theme there of advanced warning. So uh, I'm going to say that um, Lieutenant Commander Timir, our Vulcan Chief Science Officer, uh, now chimes in and says, um, uh, "Junior Lieutenant Sedino, I have been running um, analyses of this alien craft, and there is a very high probability." that they operate on a hive mind structure and will be able to adapt their defenses to your attacks, uh, possibly with alarming speed. And um, so in that case, I'm going to say that that will influence my decision to, um, to obey orders. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm just, I'm really, I'm, I'm weighing whether I want to get some shots off first. Yeah, come on. We challenged our value. Resistance is never futile. You know, we're just gonna, we're just gonna send a, a rocket up their ass here before we, uh, you know, head on out. Um, so that is back to the combat. And here, I have hand phasers as a focus, so if I can actually generate a, a focus uh, advantage, that would be great. Um, I am rolling, definitely rolling with daring this time. Uh, and security, so that's a 13 or less. Difficulty one, here we go. All right, so I got uh, one success. I will um, spend my momentum die and make that two damage. Okay, and next, um, that's two successes, so that generates another momentum point, 
and one point of damage. So, yeah, so I, I, I squeeze off a couple blasts from the old phaser, uh, takes out, let's say, two drones, um, and since the uh, sphere is not connected to the collective, say that five times fast, um, we'll just uh, we'll just assume that that data on Federation phasers never got logged. <laughs> Therefore, preserving the canon, the sacred canon. All right. So um, and so at that point, uh, when turns her. Uh, locator back on and almost immediately all right well that was fun I that, that was good that was a good time so <clears throat> so um, yeah we'll say that um, Galvin has come down onto the transporter deck um, you know from the bridge seething mad when appears and uh, and he says, "I'll deal with you later. I need you at the helm right now." And uh, and so everyone goes hustling back. Uh, Kerensky was was already you know on the bridge acting in the command role because <laughs> Galvin wanted to go down and personally you know grab Wynn by the ear so to speak. Um, and uh, and so Kyushu is already you know. Uh, turning away from the uh, Borg sphere, which is now beginning to um, turn its attentions onto Kyushu. So I think this is going to be, even though this is our last scene, it's going to be a bit, um, bit of an extended one. This isn't just going to come down to one task. Um, so it is understood that you know, our best odds for getting getting home are to go back the way we came. Um, you know, I'll admit I was kind of hoping we'd end up uh, doing some chase scene through this uh, giant radioactive cloud surrounding a red giant in a nearby star system, but that I don't, you know, I don't think that's really <clears throat> uh, makes a lot of sense, right? Because we know we know where the corridor's, um, you know, exit was. So we just need to like make our way back to that. So let's start with a, there's gonna be a lot of rolls here. So let's start with a navigation roll to try and pinpoint um, if we can, you know, find our way back to this uh, corridor exit here. Um, so we've got the high resolution sensors helping us out there. And other than that, we've got sensor plus uh, science, I think it was, that we decided on. Okay, hey, nice. I mean, I already have a point of momentum, so um, that normally would have generated another point, but you can only have one point at a time. But uh, yeah, so when, you know, pinpoints the, the energy signature on the, uh, of this, um, wormhole as they would probably think of it and um and we are impulsing away from the borg sphere now the borg sphere is going to attempt to drain uh kyushu's shields so and it's gonna you know sort of take off after it okay so this is um so basically the sphere is going to attempt to drain the shields and then pull Kyushu back with a tractor beam 
Um, but it's also just going to chase after Kyushu. Um, <clears throat> because, as I indicated earlier, the Borg, you know, they, they sort of toy with any uh, new civilization that they encounter. They, they sort of try to provoke them into shooting at them. They try to, like, um, you know, chase them to see how fast their craft can go. Um, you know, just to get the measure of them, basically. And, um... <clears throat> and so they're they're sort of like simultaneously attempting to catch Kyushu and and immobilize it so that they can send some drones over and start you know investigating the interior of the ship, but also um, kind of get a measure of the ship itself. Right. Meanwhile, Kyushu's just trying to get away. So um, we're going to run this as starship combat, which we have not done before, and this is not going to be traditional combat with the, you know, photon torpedoes and what have you. Um, now, this is a situation in which I could really use the stats for Borg Sphere because the the number of hits that a ship has are reflected in its scale. So Kyushu's scale number is a four, for example. And I want to say, if memory serves without stopping to look, that the Borg Cube was an 11. Uh, and that the Borg probe was a four. So, again, we'll sort of err more on the side of the cube than on the probe. So, let's, let's give the sphere eight. Let's give the sphere a scale of eight, just so that it's double the number as, uh, yeah, as Kyushu. So, so in other words, Kyushu has to inflict um, eight hits in order to get away from the sphere. Uh, whereas the sphere only has to inflict four hits before draining Kyushu's shields and locking it in a tractor beam. Um, and depending on how that plays out, well, I guess we'll just keep going with the scene. I was like, is two, are two-parters a thing? I guess they could be. <laughs> the cliffhanger ending. But we're only on the second mission here, so a little early for cliffhanger two-parters, right? All right, so here we go. Now we have a, a momentum die going in, which is great. Um, so we'll just hold on to that for the moment. Um, Kyushu's got uh, improved impulse drive, so that's also great, uh, as we're going to try our best to get the fuck out of here so we're rolling engines uh plus con so that's a 13 or less and if i roll three or less that would kick in the focus advantage from the improved impulse drives but as it is i rolled one success so that's a hit against the borg so to speak a quote-unquote hit all right i'm gonna hold on to that advantage or that uh momentum all right hey there we go so that is uh two successes maybe i should have just spent that momentum then hmm. still learning optimal um implementations here um so yeah so well i'll go ahead and spend the momentum now i guess we'll do two hits against the sphere all right it's going well so far <laughs> Uh-huh, yep, just jinxed it. Absolutely. Great, wonderful. So that's one hit against Kyushu. Okay. 
All right. Okay, there we go. I got my momentum back. And, oh, I generated a focus advantage. Sweet. <laughs> yes. Okay. <sighs> All right. So I'm going to immediately spend that momentum to do two hits on the sphere. All right. So, like, you know, just we're picturing here Win is, like, you know, taking Kyushu to, to its limits. Uh, we're pushing it as hard as it can with its improved impulse drive. We're just trying to get out of that gravity well of the planet so that we can go to warp speed and just go straight down the, the gob of this uh, transwarp corridor. And uh, meanwhile, we've got the sphere up on the on the view screen, you know, looking back behind us as it's just kind of menacingly coming up behind us, getting bigger and bigger, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, um, our, our chief engineer, uh, Therella, is, you know, down in engineering and you know saying like you know ah oh, they're still draining the shields captain shield capacity down to 20% now and you know uh, uh, Galvin's like divert all non-essential power to shields we need to keep those shields up we don't know what they have in store for us what they're planning to do to us but once those shields go down we are sitting ducks and uh so Let's see. Right. We're going to look up what our focus what our focus does for us. Okay. So, let's see here. Back to, I believe that's our page there. Okay. They immediately create an advantage or roll on the advantage table. Page 268. Immediately create an advantage or roll on the advantage table. Okay. Um, let's see here. All right. Yeah, I, I am I am hoping that we can do like proper starship combat at some point because there's actually like, you know, when you take hits, then you go to the starship hits flowchart and you see if like critical damage resulted, you know. So um, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Right, so let's see here. All right. Oh, divert power to the shields. No, well, we can just assume that's going on behind the scenes for sure. Um, yep, okay. There's a lot of different ways to approach the system. So I know I kind of grouse a little bit about some of the elements with it, but it is it is a lot of fun. And I have to say, it's it's definitely very streamlined compared to like what I've noticed in dipping into these Star Trek adventure books, like, that system definitely seems a lot crunchier. Not that that's a bad thing, but, um, yeah. All right, let's see here. So there's a lot of possible, uh, hmm. There's a lot of possible, uh, outcomes here on this table. I'm just looking at whether I want to roll on it or not. Um, I like this one here. Power surge. An unexpected surge in energy boosts systems to operate above their threshold or clears up an environmental anomaly. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, let's say that uh, <laughs> Thorella is, you know, uh, diverting that uh, energy, you know, and, um, and that it kind of, you know, in addition to, like, boosting the shields, well, let's see, it, it could either erase a hit. I could have it erase a hit. Or I could have it 
inflict an additional hit on the sphere in, in terms of like putting some distance between us. But I'm going to erase that hit. There we go. Okay, so yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, Galvin says, you know, divert all non-essential energy sources to shields. And uh, so we remove that one hit, thankfully. Okay. Let's keep it going. I have no momentum. I have no focus advantage. Uh, and I need to inflict three more hits. So it's not going to happen on this roll. Whoa. Interesting. Okay, so I... I rolled a one, which is always cool because it's like the Starfleet Delta. Um, so that's a success, but I also rolled a threat. So I will use that. Should we make the next task difficulty two, folks? Let's do that. Or a complication. Oh, Lord. Now that might be fun. Let's see here. If we don't, if I don't see any complications, we'll we'll go with difficulty two for the next roll. <clears throat> so let's see here. Um, okay, complications. Uh, total catastrophe. <laughs> oh man, <clears throat> random failure, horrific discovery, unexpected attack. Okay, this this sounds like fun. So I'm going to roll. If I don't like the result, I won't re-roll. We'll just go with the difficulty too. But sometimes, you know, the dice can show the way. Mesmerized crew. A strange phenomenon or alien creature has entranced the crew and at least, at least distracts them from their duties or at most renders them completely fascinated and unable to function. Well, I think everyone's adrenaline is pumping at this point. I can't really think of, like, anything... I mean, other than, like, other than the Borg, like, teleporting aboard and, you know, kidnapping folks like we had in our first mission. But, um, A, we've already done that plot beat, and B, uh, you know, I don't know. Eh, it, it doesn't really ring right to me. Not with the Borg. All right, so we'll just do difficulty two on the next roll. Here we go. Got it anyway. Boom. All right. So with that, that is uh, one damage, and we'll use that momentum generated since that was my ruling. Even on difficulty two, you still generate momentum. Spend that right away and do that last bit. Okay. So we uh, we hit that uh, we hit that wormhole, and uh, and with that. We pop back in. Um, I honestly do not remember what I rolled last time in terms of uh, being able to safely traverse the wormhole. However, uh, I'm just going to give Wynn the last roll here of the night. And um, and that would be for, uh, let's see, <clears throat> control plus con, I think. Trying to hold the damn thing together as we go. All right. Oh, a fail. Ooh, see, there we go. That's interesting. I love that. I love that. So I think, um, I think with that, yeah, let's, uh, let's have it, let's have the episode end with, uh, with Kyushu still sort of hurtling through this transwarp corridor. Uh, towards a um, 
yeah, destination unknown. All right, so I know normally I um, I generate the next mission at the end of, you know, at the conclusion of a mission, but um, I don't know. I kind of feel like, well, let's just go. Let's let's go and look at the the different missions here, and uh, and kind of see see what's to be seen. You know, I might not I might not roll anything randomly this time. But rather, just uh, see if there's any kind of like, I don't know. You know, I know I was like yearning for a freaking <laughs> freaking shore leave, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. So, okay. So we've got, these are the general categories. We've got aid and relief. Conspiracy sounds like fun. Deep space exploration kind of seems like maybe that you know we're going to continue with this. Um, and um, just kind of see where that goes. I don't know. Uh, we've got defense, and that can both be sort of like I mean, it can be like argue the benefits of the prime directive, that's your mission. Um, all the way to like neutral zone violation, retrieve lost weapons, um, ship's tactical system taken over by a hostile, you know. We've got diplomacy, we've got escort and evacuation, espionage, first contact, that might be fun, uh, medical, near space exploration, patrol, planetary exploration, Political research and development show the flag. Sometimes the Federation needs to remind a colony or outlying member world about why they are members of the Federation. Nice. Spiritual. Oh, I think we just found it. Starfleet JAG. Well, that'll come when we get back to Federation space and when gets brought up on charges. Um, and tactical. Okay, let's go with spiritual. We are lost in the in the transwarp reality. Anything could happen. Let's roll it. We've got spiritual here. Spiritual. And a seven. Entire population has shared vision. Hmm. Hmm. Not crazy enough. <laughs> um crew member has prophetic vision better that is better hmm I'm seeing some other ones here though let me just let me just skim over this um <laughs> like ancient deity appears uh-huh okay um let's see here that's a good one um so we'll go with ancient deity prophetic vision I'll, I'll narrow it down like I did with that during character creation of that one table. Um, okay. Well, let's let's keep the shared vision, too. So we've got ancient deity, prophetic vision, shared vision, uh, life after death experience. I like that. Okay. Um, any others? 
there's a lot of like sort of sectarian possibilities on here religious sect forbids alien visitors new religion begins to form science conflicts with long-held belief spiritual figure assassinated um tradition unwittingly defiled by crew ouch all right so i've got it down to four that's perfectly reasonable um so you can even do that on a, on a d20 so on a one to five an ancient deity appears on a six to ten crew member win has a prophetic vision uh, 11 to 15 the entire crew has a shared vision and on a 16 to 20 we get a life after death experience good old white background and all that all right hey wow look at that we ended up with the first one i rolled after all um so the entire crew has a shared vision all right so we're getting into some uh 2001 space odyssey territory here has shared vision okay all right now we get to the most controversial part for me at least of the captain's log system which is the incident and theme as i ranted about last week all right here is the incident uh a 20 roll twice and combine oh lord almighty all right a 12 and a 17 research transform okay transform research oh man i can already tell it's gonna be a headache all right theme 19 an unknown life form <gasps> actually it kind of worked unknown life form Research and transform unknown life form. Oh boy. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, okay, so let me remind myself of what I need to do here to generate a mission. Okay, roll on the specific type matrix, roll an incident and theme. Uh, combine to form an inciting incident. Oh, yeah. Uh, roll d d20 to generate starting advantage or complication. That's right. Okay. Uh, it's an odd, so there's a complication, because why not? Things aren't cookie enough as it is. Uh, 15. Oh, overworked crew. We've already had that one, although that would actually make a lot of sense. But I'll keep that one unless this roll comes up more, something more interesting. Um, unexpected attack. As the crew works to resolve the crisis at hand, an outside force attacks. I mean, it's possible the Borg Sphere followed them and is now attacking them, so yeah, sure. Complication. Unexpected. Attack. Okay, I feel like this whole mission's gonna take place in transwarp space, which is just pretty cool, honestly. Um, damn you, Star Trek! Keep pulling me back in. Alright, um had even more excitement to your inciting incident by rolling on the encounters matrix all right yes i don't know if we really need more excitement but let's just see what happens if i roll on that um type of encounter uh what is that deep space it's fitting okay uh a one a city ship is seen on a direct path toward earth <laughs> Wait a minute. Am I just creating V'ger? Is that... Is this... 
am I creating Star Trek the motion picture? Uh, okay. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, because we had deep space last time, because that was the transwarp conduit pulls in your vessel. Funny. Um, let's see if there's anything that like, kind of fits a little bit more. I mean, encounter with new species, obviously. We just rolled that. Um, Scar range. Okay. Um, hmm. Wormhole that crosses light years in an instant. Isn't that a transwarp corridor? Wreckage from a board craft is discovered on a nearby moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. Let's. I mean, we'll we'll go with the V'ger route, I guess. City ship. Direct path toward Earth. So it could be a little bit, actually. Yeah. I mean, it. it I'm kind of seeing a potential here. Entire crew has a shared vision, so presumably that's the city ship. Um, uh, research and transform an unknown life form fits in with that very nicely. The complication of the unexpected attack, that's kind of how the episode, the mission's going to start out, is just dealing with this Borg sphere. We'll not get off our jock! Um... But then once we make it out of the corridor, so I don't think the whole episode is going to be in the corridor. Once we make it out of the corridor, um, we will uh, presumably then um, be on like kind of a race, race against time to get back to Earth because we've had this like shared vision of this like city ship, basically. And um, yeah, so we'll just kind of see where that goes. But this is this is actually I think I think this is the first time I actually have a a fairly um, fairly strong vision of, of what this mission is going to look like ahead of time. So, uh, so yeah, there we go. Uh, ended off on a real, real exciting note there with Kyushu kind of plunging through this transwarp corridor to destinations unknown. We're going to pick up sort of narratively immediately after this. So it was a little bit of a, it wasn't exactly a two-parter, but it's, uh, you know, sequentially, they're going to happen one right after the other. I do really like the idea of doing a fourth mission with with uh, Wynn being brought up on charges <laughs> for insubordination. It'd be pretty hilarious. Um, we'll just see. We'll see how that goes. But uh, but yeah, in the meantime, uh, we'll see what what lies in store for Kyushu next time on Captain's Log.